All right, so, so Matthew there, and then also Mark teaches every single time Jesus taught, every time, uh, he used some kind of parable, some kind of story, some kind of illustration. Uh, parables were a very important part of Jesus' teaching style, his communicating style. Why do you guys think that Jesus would use parables every single time he taught? Every single time that he, he would teach or speak, he used, he used parables, he used stories. Why do you think? It's probably more relatable. The person. Much more relatable. Much more relatable. If you guys think about uh, think about the professors, you know, that are particularly captivating, hold your attention, right? Or, or public speakers, uh, or pastors, or teachers that, that you are just really locked into their their message. Uh, you'll you'll a lot of times see the thing in common is that they are storytellers. Um, stories and illustrations are, are a way of, of, of conveying meaning uh, and concepts and information. Uh, that connect with us, resonate with us a whole lot better than just info dump. Just here's some information, right? Uh, the stories resonate with us. The stories connect with us. Jesus knows that. Jesus is the one that made us, right? So he knows exactly the way to uh, connect with people, to resonate with people. Uh, we love stories, right? As a, as a culture, as human beings, we love uh, stories. All kinds of different stories, but man, we are, we are captivated, uh, connected with stories. Um, and someone... And, 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 and kind of look at a crowd sometime uh, as a speaker is communicating uh, and they kind of glaze over when it's just purely informational. Uh, and then they say, let me tell you a story. Everyone kind of sits up. I don't, I'm listening now. You're going to tell me a story. It doesn't matter what the story's about. Uh, I'm here for stories, though, right? Um, because stories connect with us. Stories resonate uh, with us. Uh, we love stories. We love stories where there's some kind of tension, right? Something that's lost that needs to be uh, restored. Uh, maybe, maybe like a relationship that's broken. Like every, every romantic story, every love story, right? A, a, a relationship that's broken, that needs to be restored. People that are far off, that need to be reconnected. Um, you know, we love these kind of stories. Uh, we love stories where there's an injustice or an evil that has to be overcome and conquered. Or, and, and a hero figure or a savior figure comes in uh, and wins the day and rescues the people. We love those kind of stories. Um, we love our redemption stories. Redemption stories where a character, man, they fall flat on their face. They fall on hard times. I mean, by the end of the story, you see them uh, rise to the challenge. You see them redeemed. You see them restored uh, to, to, to the place that they could be or even a greater status than they could be. Man, I love those kind of stories. I love the stories where, where a character gets redeemed. Where a character, man, they really blow it. Because that's us, right? <laughs> where the character totally blows it. You're like, oh, I can't believe they did that. But you're hooked, right? Because you're invested in, in that's me. Uh, and, then, and then through the arc of the story, you see them redeemed, you see them reclaimed, whatever. We love these kind of stories. And the reason these stories connect with us and resonate with us so much is, like I said, because it's us, right? Um, you guys familiar with uh, Phil Vischer? He's a children's broadcasting creator. Phil Vischer, he created the Veggie Tales, created What's in the Bible, lots of like kids, uh, Christian Kids products. We also does adult stuff for adults too. Um, and he, he, I was listening to him one time and he, he puts it really, really well. He says, the reason that we like these kind of stories is because we're living that kind of story, right? We're in the middle of that kind of story. He uses like Finding Nemo, the Pixar movie, as an example. Um, you've got a story about a little fish and a daddy fish that live at the bottom of the ocean. Have you seen this? Uh, and there's a tragic event at the beginning. Um, something terrible happens and the son is separated from the father and the whole rest of the narrative is about that father fighting to get back with his son, be reunited with his son. And we were hooked, we're riveted, we're like, man, i got to find out what happens. Is the child reunited to their father? You know, they've been separated, they're going to be able to be brought back together. And, and Phil says, man, the reason we're hooked on those kind of things is because we're living that story. Man, we're the, the little fish, right, <laughs> separated from our father. We're the son, we're the daughter, man, estranged from our father, longing to be reunited um, and, and there's a longing in our hearts, even if we don't understand it, uh, to, 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 to see that, that thing reconnected. I've got, I've got two little girls, um, the movie Tangled, very similar kind of idea. You've got this princess that's lost, and you've got, the, you've got a, a mother and father, the king and queen, uh, who go through great lengths right, to see this daughter drawn back to them. And they put the lanterns in the sky and everything. If you've not seen it, it's pretty cool. Um, but the great, the great lengths the father goes through to see his daughter brought back home, right? The great lengths the father goes through to see their child brought back home. And these kind of stories resonate with us because there's a deep spiritual truth there. Even if the writers 
of the story didn't realize it, right? There's a deep spiritual truth that resonates with us, right? Um, we want to see uh, people that are separated restored. We want to see a savior figure conquer evil and injustice because we look around and see evil and injustice in our own lives that we need a savior, right, to, to conquer and overcome. Um, we love redemption stories because, man, man, honestly, we've all fallen flat on our face. We've all blown it, uh, and, and we need someone to redeem us. We need someone to make people make things right. So we love stories. Uh, we, or we connect with stories. When someone starts telling a story, it gets our attention. Jesus knows this, right? And so when he's needing to con- uh, communicate um, these deep theological principles, these deep spiritual principles with people, uh, he uses stories. He uses illustrations uh, instead of just info dump, right? And, and by using stories, uh, man, they stick in the people's hearts. They stick in the people's minds. Uh, they, go, they go viral, right, in, in a way that just plain information could never do. Um, I, I would guess that everyone in this room is familiar um, with the concept of a good Samaritan, right? If, if I say so-and-so, you know, Ralph over there, man, he, he had an opportunity to help somebody. He was a good Samaritan. That would mean something to you. It would mean something to you possibly even if you're not a Christian because that phrase, Good Samaritan, has so worked ourselves into the culture. That story uh, of, of, of the Samaritan who stopped what he was doing to help someone in need, and that's a story that went viral, right? It's permeated our culture. Even if I'm not a Christian, even if I've never read the Bible, I'm familiar with that concept uh, of a Good Samaritan. Jesus could have just you know, taught it as a principle, you should help people that are less fortunate than you. You should stop what you're doing and help people in need. And we okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, we should help people. Um, but instead, he took that spiritual concept and he put it in a story uh, that 2,000 years ago, man, is still permeated in the culture, uh, this concept of, uh, of the Good Samaritan, someone that is not just going to pass by when they see a problem, but is going to stop, stoop down, and do whatever they can uh, to help a person. Does that make sense? Uh, so Jesus uses stories. Matthew and Mark tell us every single time uh, he taught, every single time he communicated, uh, he would use some kind of story. Um, and in, in, in the verses that, that you read, we said it's to fulfill the prophecy, um, the prophecy of Isaiah there that, that, that says the Messiah would speak in parables and explain things hidden from the creation of the world. Uh, so we talked about why stories, uh, why use stories to communicate um, these deep spiritual truths. And it's because and stories resonate with us in a way that, that just a simple information dump does not. Um, but there's also another layer of it. Uh, scripture tells us Jesus also used stories because, um, you know, sto- stories resonate with us, but then they also, uh, they cause you to dig a little deeper. Um, you know, the, the, the information in those parables was a little bit disguised. Like, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're, and you're just kind of overhearing the teachings of Jesus, you think... He's, not, he's talking about farmers again. He's talking about vineyards again. He's talking about pearls again. Uh, and, and, and the message was hidden from those that weren't seeking after Jesus, right? That it, that it requires some digging, some seeking after Jesus. It requires maybe asking Jesus to explain the parable. We see that happen in the Gospels as well where the disciples say, the thing you were talking about with the, the yeast, I didn't get that at all, right? Can, can you break that down a little bit? Uh, and, and he would, right? Um, so parables... Uh, and they connect with this, they resonate with us, they help us to understand deep spiritual truth, but also um, they require some digging. They require some unpacking. They require us to think about it, meditate on it, uh, think about how it applies to our life, think about what God wants to teach us out of it. Um, so it's not just a story, right? Uh, that, that if you're not really following Jesus, it can just bounce off of you like any other story. Um, but, but then if you, if you dig and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to learn from this? Um, deep and life-transforming truth is there. Uh, if you allow the Holy Spirit to use that um, and allow him to unpack that in your life. Um, all right, so the first, uh, I said I want to look at four parables. Uh, the first one I want to look at um, is going to be, I had you guys, uh, yeah, I had you guys in Matthew. Let's turn to um, a couple chapters back, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. This is going to be the parable or the illustration. It's not a strict parable, but it's an illustration, a word picture of the patches and the wineskins. Um, so we know Jesus always, always taught in some kind of parables using some kind of illustration. Um, because the Gospels aren't arranged strictly chronologically, we don't, can't really just say, well, this was Jesus' first parable. Exactly, right? 
Um, you know, the, a modern day historian might put things chronologically. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Um, ancient historians weren't as concerned with maintaining chronology. Uh, and, and so sometimes things are arranged thematically. Like, it makes most sense for the story for this to go here. Um, but so, so we don't necessarily know what was Jesus' first parable. What was his first illustration? But this is one of the first ones, and, and some scholars think maybe this is possibly the first uh, illustration that Jesus used because it is, it is such a, um, a good entry point into the rest of his teaching, an entry point uh, into all the things he would later teach about the kingdom of God and about um, how we're to receive him and his teachings into our lives. Um, but this is the parable, the illustration of the patches uh, in the wineskins. It sets the stage for all the rest of Jesus' parables and teachings. And to give a little concept, a uh, little, little context, we can start in verse uh, 14. <coughs> Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 14, it says, One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Um, so, so this kind of gives us some context for the illustration he's about to give about patches uh, and wineskins. Uh, this parable that Jesus, this illustration Jesus is about to give is a response to those that are asking him why uh, his disciples are not fasting. And he says, man, there's going to come a day where they're fast, but right now they've got me with them, right? They, they've got me, they've got close uh, communion with me. Um, there's going to come a day where they're going to need things like, like fasting to, uh, to, to draw near to me, but right now they, they've got me with them. Um, you know, so if people fast to draw closer to God, I mean, how can you get any closer to God than having Jesus like there in the flesh hanging out with you, right? That's the idea there. Um, and so by saying this, Jesus is telling them he's identifying himself, uh, and, and it's, it's something that he'll do several times throughout the Gospels. It's what eventually gets him arrested uh, and publicly executed. He's saying, I'm not just another rabbi. I'm not just another teacher. I'm not just another good guy that people are following. There's something special about me. Uh, Jesus says that he's the son of God and that changes everything. So you don't listen to my teachings, this is Jesus, don't listen to my teachings the way you would any other rabbi. You don't listen to my teachings the way you would any other teacher. Uh, it's fundamentally different because I'm the son of God, I'm the Messiah. Um, so you don't, you don't listen to my teachings and think, hmm, is this something I agree with and want to accept? Uh, that that you, you accept all of Jesus or none of him because he's God. And, and you either accept him as the Lord of your life, you're going to yield yourself to him, follow him, submit yourself to him, or you don't. Uh, but it's all or nothing. And that sets the stage for this illustration about the patches uh, and the wineskin. So to illustrate this concept, Jesus uses this example, this analogy. Um, picking up in verse 16. Jesus says, Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine and old wineskins, for the old wineskins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that they're both preserved. How many of you guys have ever had to patch a pair of jeans or a jacket or any kind of clothing? Anybody patched anything before? Say, no, mom did that. Do you patch something, right? Well, I helped my mom do it. Helped your mom patch something, yeah. Um, so, uh, just, just a little bit of understanding, if, if you are ever in a situation where you need to patch uh, some clothing, um, sometimes in the, the inside of your cotton t-shirt, uh, it'll, it'll kind of describe 100% cotton, 8% cotton, whatever. Uh, whatever it's made of, and it'll tell you if it is pre-shrunk fabric. And that's important. You want to know uh, when you're buying the thing, is this pre-shrunk? Has this already been washed, laundered, and shrunk? Or... I'm going to wear it one time, and the first time I wash it and dry it, now it's a baby's shirt, right? And I can never wash it again. You guys ever had that happen? Um, our Kyle for, uh, does summer mission trips to the Dominican Republic, and I found, like, the coolest shirt. I was in love with it. Uh, they had uh, I hearts, but the heart was in the shape of the Dominican Republic. Uh, RD, Republic of Dominicana. I like the I Love NY shirts, but it was I... You know, anyway, you get it. Uh, it's such a cool shirt, perfect color, everything. Um, and, and I bought it, wore, wore it home on the trip. The first time I washed it, like it came out and it looked like a toddler would wear it after that. It was not pre-shrunk, right? Um, and so, so when it, a lot of your clothes are there. A lot of clothes you're going to buy in the States are pre-shrunk. Um, and, and what happens though, uh, you get a hole in it and you say, oh, I need to patch this. Um, if the fabric that you get to patch it is not also pre-shrunk, right? You sew that new piece of fabric. And you wash that thing, and you dry that thing, what's going to happen? 
Yeah, the patch is going to shrink, pull away from the rest of the clothes, and you're back in the same situation you are. It's ruined, right? And so, man, how does this apply to what Jesus is saying about receiving him and his teachings? Uh, and, and he's saying this, that um, you can't, you can't uh, put Jesus on uh, like a patch. You can't just add Jesus onto whatever else you're going on. Uh, you need a whole new garment, right? You need a whole new piece of clothing. Um, you, and so he's, t- he's talking to religious people, mostly Jewish religious people that had a certain religious system that they were a part of. Uh, and what Jesus wanted them to understand from the beginning is you can't just add me on top of all these things you're already doing, right? I can't just be added on top of it uh, that, that, that Jesus is all or nothing, that we need to receive the teachings of Jesus. Jesus becomes the new foundation uh, that things can be added to but Jesus says, I can't just be added uh, like a patch to what you've already got going on because I'm too different, right? The things are going to pull apart from each other. Um, so if a person's coming to Christ, a person's coming to Jesus, um, Jesus isn't asking just to be added onto their life as one more thing they do, right? Or, or as one more thing about them. Uh, Jesus is asking for all of them, their whole life. Uh, you know, and, and so when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he tells him, uh, you need to be born again. You need a fresh start. You need to completely start over. You need a whole new life. Uh, you can't add Jesus like a patch you know, or, or a band-aid. You say, I've got a problem. Well, Jesus is going to be my band-aid and my patch there uh, to fix me up, but everything else about my life stays the same. No, Jesus said, when you receive me, everything about your life's got to change. Top to bottom, you need to be born again. Uh, it's a fresh start. It's a new life. Um, it, it's, not, it's not a patch on an existing garment. It's a whole new garment, uh, a whole new you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and, and a very similar kind of illustration with the, uh, he talks about you wouldn't uh, put new wine into an old wineskin. Now this one, uh, not only one of you guys had even helped patch a clothing. I would guess 0% of you have made wine in an animal skin before. Um, anybody? No, okay. So uh, in the ancient world, uh, animal skins are not still used this way. Um, but, but to make wine, you guys know, some of you may know, some of you guys know, I have no idea where wine comes from. Uh, wine comes from fruit, right? And, and we'll, we'll say grapes, right, that have been mashed into grape juice. Uh, and then if you leave juice sitting for a long time, it begins to ferment as the, uh, the, the sugar or whatever breaks, breaks down chemically into, into alcohol, uh, and, and it becomes an alcoholic drink if it's left to sit for a while. I worked at TCBY, uh, the frozen yogurt place in high school, and we had uh, some top. you, know, you have that, the toppings bar, right? Um, and some toppings people don't, don't get very often, so they don't get changed very often. Uh, and I remember one day, like the blueberries, right? We're sitting there, and I noticed they had all these bubbles in them. Uh, I didn't know. I, I'm a I'm an ignorant high school kid. I don't know anything. Um, and I was like, man, why why is this all bubbly? Why? And, and I went to try it, and it had sure enough, it fermented. It gotten gross. Um, but that's what happened. So juice that's just sitting there uh, ferments, becomes alcoholic. Grape juice becomes wine. Uh, and, and so the when when this happens, when this process happens, uh, it expands. Right. So um, whatever container you put the juice in. Um, as that chemical reaction happens where, where sugar breaks down into, into alcohol, um, gas is released. And that's why if you've ever seen you know, someone open the top of a wine bottle, right? Because it's under pressure. There's a lot of pressure in there as all that gas is released from the chemical reaction. Okay, so going back to the ancient world, how wine's made, uh, they, would, they would put it into animal skins. They would put grape juice or whatever, whatever kind of fruit juice, into an animal skin, sew it up, right? Because uh, the animal skin is... It can stretch, right? So as that, that, that gas is released, as it expands, the animal skin will expand with it until it reaches, until it's fully fermented, and then the skin will harden, and then it, you know, it sits there until they're ready to drink it. Um, and they you know, cut it open, and they've got their wine, and they're good to go. Uh, and Jesus is saying something that's kind of a duff concept, or it would be to the people he's explaining it to. These things are one-time use. They're not reusable, right? It expands. It's hardened. You can't use that same animal skin to make some more wine, right? You can't take that same animal skin that's already, already stretched and hardened. You can't put some more grape juice in it and start the whole process over. No, you need a whole new wine skin. Jesus says you can't put new wine into old wine skins. It doesn't work that way. You need a, you need a fresh start. You need a new beginning. Uh, and in the same way, in the same way, uh, Jesus says, you can't receive me uh, into an old, old wineskin, right? You can't receive Jesus. You can't receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, just adding him in to the life you've got going on. 
You need a whole new life, a whole new fresh start. This is the whole concept of being born again. Um, yeah, you need a whole new you, right? A whole new you. Everything's going to change. Uh, and so, so I think the, the, the thing that Jesus is really trying to communicate is, is not that we just add him to whatever we've got going on. It's not, it's not whatever my life is plus Jesus, right? It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. Our trust uh, needs, to be, needs to be completely in Jesus as our, as our Savior. Um, we need to follow him as our king. That's this breakout track is King Jesus. We need to submit to his lordship. If we're ever going to understand the teachings of Jesus, we've got to understand that, that Jesus is the son of God. He's king. Uh, and we're submitting to his lordship and his authority as king of our lives. Um, so like trying to add an old patch to a new, new garment, Jesus can't be a patch on top of our current life or current beliefs. It won't work. He's too different. Uh, he needs us to be made into something completely new. Uh, the teachings of the kingdom of God won't fit into our, our understanding of how the universe works. We must start over. We must be spiritually born again uh, to understand the kingdom of God through that lens of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, his son. Um, and, and if you think about the teachings of Jesus, a lot of times they're opposite of what's going on in the world. Down is up. The first is last. You want to be the greatest. You need to be the lowest servant. Um, so he says you can... My teachings are not going to make any sense to you at all uh, until you're made new. And t- until you decide, I'm going to just chuck the way I thought the world works, and, and I'm going to submit to you, Jesus, and, and everything's going to be new. Um, and and so, so we're like those old wineskins. The teachings of Jesus aren't going to make sense. They're not going to fit into our understanding of how the world works. Jesus wants to make each of you a new creation. Um, he wants to make you brand new uh, so, so that you can be a vessel that can uh, and contain his truth, can be transformed by his truth. Uh, so that's the first illustration, the patches and the wineskins. Are we good on that? Uh, so before we can even start our journey into the kingdom of God, Jesus says, uh, now we need to be made new. We need to be born again. We need to ask Jesus um, and to, to, to save us, uh, to be born again by the Holy Spirit of God, our old, old life, uh, dead and gone, and, and to be new creations uh, in him. And that's what the Bible tells us. Everyone put, that puts their trust in Jesus. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that, uh, man, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. You know, our old sinful life is gone and dead. God doesn't see that when he looks at us. We're a brand new creation in Christ Jesus, and that's good news. Amen? Um, and and so, so Jesus says, man, the first illustration to understand as you're kind of stepping into the kingdom of God uh, is, is that it's a fresh start. It's a brand new beginning. Uh, and the, the old stuff you brought with you, is not, it's not going to work. Um, second illustration I want to look at, and you guys, this might be the one you might be most familiar with, uh, it's called the parable of the soil. Um, your Bibles might say the parable of the sower, the parable of the scattered seed. It's going to also be Matthew 13, but going back to verse 3. Matthew 13, starting in verse 3. The parable of the soil, and this has to do with uh, different kinds of soil and how that relates to the conditions of our heart. Um, and again, you guys, this one, you might most likely, the parables of Jesus, other than the Good Samaritan, most likely, yeah, I think I've heard this one. I think, I think I'm familiar with this one. Um, and, and this is definitely a foundational one. And, and so when we're looking at Jesus' parables, a lot of them are agricultural or agrarian. They have a lot of farmers and vineyards and animals and stuff like that um, because that, that's the culture he's speaking to, right? Those are the concepts that would resonate to his culture. If he's, if he's speaking in 2017, it might be like, Less agriculture metaphors and met- I don't know what, um, but but that's what really connected with his his people. And when we're studying the Bible, um, always, 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 when we're studying Scripture, we want to think, what did this mean to the original audience? What did this mean to the first people that heard it? Uh, and then start to apply it to, okay, what does that mean to me now? Um, let's look at it, starting in verse three, Matthew chapter thirteen, starting in verse three, it says Jesus told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds, and as he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, and still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop of 30, 60, even 100 times as much had been planted. Anyone who, with ears to hear, should listen and understand. So Jesus here is describing uh, several different types of soil. He's describing a farmer that's 
throwing out seed. Uh, I don't know if anybody has ever planted seed to try to grow a garden or, or anything like that, but you're familiar with the concept, right? The seed goes into the ground, uh, it, it gets water, it gets nutrients, and it grows into a plant. And so th- this farmer is, is casting out seed, uh, and Jesus describes uh, a few different types of soil uh, that it lands on. Uh, the first, he says, it lands on, on a path, right? Hard, compacted uh, earth where the, so- the, the seed can't really take any root at all. Uh, it can't, can't really get in there. It can't really get started. Um, you know, so he says uh, that uh, birds come along and eat, eat the seed, right? Before it can even take root, before it can even get started. Uh, what do you guys, and I don't want this just to be me talking. I want to hear you guys' thoughts too. Um, if, if the different types of soil are kind of analogous to the condition of our heart, uh, what kind of heart would be the, the seed that lands on the path, the hard, compacted soil that never really takes root? What kind of heart would that be? Something calloused. Yeah, a calloused heart, a hard heart. What do you guys think? Heart that just continually rejected the Lord. Yeah. They're just saying, yeah, I'm, reject- I'm not having anything to do with that. I, this, this idea of being uh, born again, this idea that, that, I, that I need to be saved from my sins, I, I'm not... I'm not embracing any of that. I'm hardened against that. I'm callous against that. So when God's truth comes to that kind of heart, bing, it just bounces right off. It can't, can't do anything with that, right? Because uh, there needs to be humility. We need to realize our need for God. There needs to be, yeah, that, that kind of, that kind of uh, the, the position of our heart needs to be one of, of, of repentance, humility, submission. So the hard heart, uh, God's truth is just going to bounce off. It says a bird comes and eats it, you know. Uh, I don't know, that could be like the enemy, you know, maybe snatching that truth away uh, where we don't even remember it anymore once we've hardened ourselves against it. Um, yeah, no, that, that's great. That's the path. Um, what about, uh, what's, what's the next type of soil? Other seeds fell on uh, the rocky soil um, and they sprouted up quickly because uh, the soil was shallow, uh, but those plants that sprouted up quickly soon died because they didn't have much roots. What kind of condition of the heart would be that uh, that sprouts up quickly but it dies because it doesn't have deep roots? It's kind of the guy uh, that was talking earlier that says like some Christians just go from like event to event. And yeah. From, like spiritual high to spiritual high. But like when it comes to like living it out in their real life, they kind of don't really care anymore. They're just waiting along until passion or whatever else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jonathan was talking in the session this morning about um, one of the pitfalls of American Christianity is that we're just event-driven, uh, that, that a lot of us don't have a personal, a real personal walk with God, any kind of personal devotional life. Like, we all know we're supposed to have a personal devotional life. We know at some point we're supposed to be studying the Bible on our own, praying on our own, but a lot of us aren't. We're just living for the next Sunday or the next Kyle meeting or the next big conference, and we're, we're letting those events kind of get to us, but because we don't have any, any personal walk with God, um, we're really shallow, really spiritually shallow, uh, and, and Jesus says that kind of person is not going to last. You know, they, they might follow me for a season, or at salt, they might be going for me hard, and there might have, and he says that the, the plant sprouted up quick. There seemed to be this rapid growth, uh, but it had no roots. Um, so when the sun comes out, and that can just be, when life gets difficult, when life gets tough, that person with no roots it's going to give up. They're going to say, you know what? Being a Christian is not what I thought it was going to be. Uh, I want to live for myself. I want to do this. Uh, I give up. I'm not doing this anymore. Now, whether they say that literally or that's just the evidence of their life, they says that person is not going to continue to follow me. Right? The person that, that springs up quickly but doesn't ever establish roots. Um, so when we think about the conditions of our own heart, we need to have the kind of hearts um, that, that, that are soft towards God, that are a place uh, that, that, that roots can grow. Uh, that God's got access to every part of our heart, every part of our life, um, that we are, uh, you know, involved in, in, in a daily pursuit of God, a daily devotional time. Um, every every calf has got different kind of lingo ways they, they describe it. Um, the the calf I came up and described it as bento time. You guys heard of that? B-I-N-T-O time? Uh, and that stands for built in, not tacked on time with God. I've been a Christian for like 20 years. Um, and, and, and what, I've, what I've observed is, like I said, a lot of people know they're supposed to have devotion time with God. They know they're supposed to pray. know they're supposed to read the Bible. But a lot of them aren't doing it. Um, and, and a lot of that comes from not that they don't want to draw closer to God, but they don't make any kind of plan for it. 
and the day gets busy, and sure enough, oh, I missed it today, or I missed it this week, um, or, or they'll think, uh, man, my day's pretty busy, but I'll just kind of tack on time with God where it fits, right? I'll just see if I got, got a spare few minutes here, maybe I'll pray, or maybe at the end of the day, before I go to bed, I can't tell you how many times discipling students just tell me, I'm just going to read the Bible right before I fall asleep. Okay, like that, that's your plan, right? Just to kind of tack it on to the end of the day. Um, and that doesn't work, right? That, that, that doesn't work. Um, now, maybe, maybe the end of the day is when you're your sharpest, you're your brightest, that's giving God your best. We're all wired different, okay? I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt on that. Um, but, but your devotional time with God needs to be built into your schedule, not tacked on like an afterthought, right? When you've got a chance to meet with God in prayer, uh, meet with God, study His Word, you've got an appointment with the Creator of the universe, right? It's the most important appointment of your entire life, right? Uh, and, and we should block it in our schedule like it's that important, like it's that precious. Um, if you had a meeting with, I'm trying to think of an important celebrity, uh, that you would just like, I'm not missing this meeting, right? Like, whatever it is for you. Um, you know, the, uh, I'm trying to think of someone super important, like the head of the UN or something, says, hey, I need to meet with you. I need to pick your brain on some things, some, uh, some policy stuff. I need to know what you think. Uh, when, when can we meet, right? And so you put in your day planning, I'm going to meet with, uh, meet with this person on this time. You're not missing that meeting, right? That's a big deal meeting, right? But we blow off the creator of the universe. Like, it's nothing, right? So, so, so yeah, if we're going to let roots grow down and, and take root, we've got to have a daily uh, devotional time with God and the, that, that bento time, that built into our schedule. So when you're planning your schedule, the same way you block out, I've got class here, I've got my part-time job here, I've got this meeting here. I mean, look at your schedule and block out time with God. That this half hour, 45 minutes, this hour here, that's God time, right? I'm going to be in the Word, I'm going to worship, I'm going to pray, and that's God time. So if someone asks me, hey, from 3 to 4, can you, you know, go shoot basketball? I'll say, I've got a meeting then, right? I can meet you as soon as it's over, right? Because that time's precious, and we're going to guard it. Uh, and, that, and that way our heart can be uh, the kind of soil where, where uh, roots can form, so we're not just shallow event-to-event Christians that when life gets tough, we throw in the towel and give up. Um, the other kind of soil, it says, other seed in verse 7 fell among the thorns, that grew and choked out the tender plants. Um, what do you guys think the kind of soil is? And Jesus goes on to explain this parable too, uh, and, and he does break it down. So some of you guys might be familiar with that. Um, but what do you think the condition of the heart is uh, where there are um, there, there are thorny plants, thorny weeds that, that choke out that seed so it dies? What do you guys think? What would that be? What would that be like? people teaching bad theology where you seem to have this like false sense of rooted stuff and then you go into something that is false or deadly i mean yeah that that would definitely be be harmful um yeah yeah bad theology kind of mixed in that that would, that would be problematic uh what, what jesus says later when when he's explaining it to his disciples this is the cares of life the worries of life uh become become like those kind of thorns that wrap around the plant and kill it and choke it out um so this is being so concerned with just the, the normal worries of life, the cares of life, concerned with the things that culture is concerned about, um, that you allow yourself to also be so worried about those things that it chokes out your devotion to God, it chokes out your faith in God. Um, what are the kind of things our culture is just super passionate about pursuing? What do you money. think? Money. Get money. Yeah, what else? Pleasure. pleasure. Get pleasure as much as you can stand. What else? Fame. fame, yeah, fame. I want to be famous. I want to be rich. I want to enjoy it. I want to be powerful, right? These are the things that our culture man, kills themselves over and kills other people over. Wealth, power, fame, influence, pleasure. The culture goes crazy for these things. They, they spend all they've got to go after these things, but none of these, these things in the end can really fulfill. None of these things can save us, make us right with God. We can waste our life chasing after these things, and when we're dead, if we didn't know Jesus, we can go to hell and be lost forever. Um, but these are the things that our culture chases after and, and kills each other over and kills themselves over, uh, the pursuit of these kind of things. Uh, and when we allow uh, and the things the culture is chasing after to influence us, that's going to choke out our faith in God. Because it doesn't work for me to, to pursue power and wealth and fame and also pursue Jesus. Like, you can't. They're, they're antithetical to each other, right? Because um, pursuing Jesus is the opposite of pursuing power. It's about laying down power. It's about hum- humiliating myself, making myself a servant, seeing how can I serve God and serve the people around me? How can I be less 
uh, so that Jesus can be more glorified in my life, right? Uh, so pursuing power is it, it, the opposite of pursuing Jesus, right? Pursuing um, pleasure, you know, just for pleasure's sake is the opposite of pursuing Jesus. Man, if you pursue Jesus, there's going to be joy. There's going to be pleasure. You're going to enjoy it uh, because God is good. God is good, and he knows how to give you a life that truly satisfies. Um, you know, if you pursue Jesus, you're going to get pleasure, enjoying all those things thrown in. If you just pursue pleasure for the sake of pleasure and you miss Jesus, man, you're going to end up empty and broken. Um, that stuff's going to end up killing you, uh, you know, spiritually and physically. It's harmful. Um, and so, so when, when Jesus talks about the cares of this life choking out, choking out the seed, that's what he's talking about. The things this world worries about having. I've got to have enough money. I've got to have enough fame. I've got to make sure everyone knows me. Um, Sean was talking about last night. I've got to make sure my image looks good. I've got to make sure my, uh, my Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, like I'm, I've got this pristine, everyone thinks I'm, I'm just the man, I'm just the lady, I'm just the superstar. Uh, we get so caught up in that stuff. He says, man, if you really chase after that, you're going to miss out on what Jesus has for you. That's going to choke out your faith in God. Um, so the last type of soil, Jesus says, um, is the fertile soil. In verse 8, he says, other seeds fell on the fertile soil, and they produced a crop 30, 60, even 100 times what had been planted. What kind of condition of the heart would you guys say would be fertile soil? Fertile soil for God's word, God's truth. They understand it and life. Understand it and apply it, yeah. Understand it and implement it. What else? Yeah. So a relationship with God. It's not just teachings like a textbook but 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 it's it's out of a relationship it's out of this is my father who loves me right who knows what's best for me uh the, the, you know this is jesus who, who loves me who created me um and, and i'm going to submit uh myself to these teachings because of that relationship because of that love um not not because these are just this is cold information um but, but yeah rooted in relationship that's huge any other thoughts ideas on fertile soil what would make our hearts fertile soil eager to go all in, you know, not to hold back, like, I'll follow you, but let me go, and, you know, Jesus, he said, no, no, you have to go all in, you know? Yeah, being willing to be all in. Reproductive, not just, like, holding it to yourself, but, you know, growing and telling others. Yeah, yeah, so he says that the fertile soil is going to do what? It's going to bear a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was invested, so there's going to be some kind of fruit, some kind of outgrowth. Uh, so, so we're going to see, man, an evidence in you of a transformed life. If you're fertile soil, uh, what's being sown into you, uh, there's going to be growth there. There's going to be change there. There's going to be fruit uh, in your life. Someone's going to be able to look at your life and say, man, that person's following Jesus, and I can see the difference, right? I, there's something different about them. They're not like everyone else that's chasing power and pleasure and fame and, and money. Uh, man, they've got a joy. They've got a peace, right? Um, and, and, and so it's going to look different. They're going to see that fruit in your life. And also, uh, man, you, you're going to be led to serve others, to, to bring that truth to others, to lead other people to Christ, to make disciples, uh, reproduce yourself and others. See, a reproduction is a huge, uh, yeah, huge uh, factor there as, as far as having fertile soil. Um, and so what Jesus wants us to understand about the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God is going to grow uh, in, in, the, in the hearts of, of, of people that are that fertile soil. That it's going to be difficult for it to grow uh, if, if we have hard hearts, right? It's going to be difficult for it to grow um, if the cares of life are, are choking it out. It's going to be really difficult for it to grow if we're just like event Christians bouncing from one high to the next but don't have that, that daily, daily devotion. Uh, but he says, man, in the hearts of people that are really devoted to me, people that are all in, surrendered to me, uh, that are fertile soil, uh, there's going to be huge growth, explosive growth, mustard seed kind of growth. Um, and so that's a concept about the kingdom of God that, that Jesus uh, would want us to take away. Okay, his next one, too, we're going to have to do pretty quick because time's short. Um, it's all good, though. <coughs> we'll we'll kind of, I'll touch on this one, but I'm not going to spend much time explaining it. Very, very similar. Um, so you've got the, the parable of the mustard seed is going to also be in Matthew 13, starting in verse 31. Parable of the mustard seed says, Jesus told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like, right? That's the name of this class. The kingdom of heaven is like 
here's an example. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it's the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds can come and perch in its branches. Um, if you guys have ever seen a mustard seed, it's incredibly small, incredibly small. Um, I don't know if it's like the smallest seed ever. I don't know necessarily that it is, but it is a really small seed uh, compared to like, anyway, bigger seeds. Uh, but he says that even though it starts as a, such a small seed, when it grows, it becomes one of the biggest plants in the garden. Just this big, massive bush thing, uh, so big that the birds can come perch in it. Um, and so, so what do you guys think Jesus is trying to teach us about the kingdom of God? And we talked about it a little bit. Um, the idea that, that, that something that starts small isn't going to stay small, right? That healthy things grow, uh, and, and, and there, there's going to be huge growth. Um, I think the encouragement Jesus wants, would want us to take from that um, is, is, is that I mean, growth does happen, uh, but it can take time, right? That mustard seed is not going to become a huge plant overnight. It's not Jack and the Beanstalk, right? He throws his, the beans out the window, and then he wakes up the next morning, and, whoa, right, up to the sky, uh, now, you plant a seed in the garden, it's going to take a minute for it to be a huge bush, a huge tree that birds can come and nest in. Um, and, and, and it's the same in our own life. Uh, and, and with anything, anything valuable, anything important, it's going to take, uh, take time. Um, growth takes time. Results take time. Any of you guys that ever tried to get in shape, tried to work out at the gym, right? That, that went and did some reps and then tried to go home and wanted to see results from that in the mirror, and you're like... And I was in the gym like a whole 45 minutes. I don't see like a single difference, right? It takes time, right? If you need to get your GPA up, right? Say, man, my GPA is in the pit. I need that thing to be a 4.0. I'm in pretty good grades this semester. Why is it not there yet, right? It takes time. Um, and, and anything valuable, man, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to take... That's my, that's my warning. That's my 10-minute warning. Uh, <laughs> it's going to take time for that thing to grow. So in the same way, Jesus says... Um, and if you're looking at yourself right now and you're discouraged uh, that, that, that man, I've just started this journey with God, um, I've just started this relationship with God, I'm not where I want to be, I feel like I'm this small little baby Christian, uh, and he said, yeah, you are, but, but you're going to grow, right? And stay after it, don't quit, don't give up. Um, and he says, man, like that, like that mustard seed, man, o- over time it's going to grow, um, and, 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 and as you're, you're faithful to pursue God, the Holy Spirit's going to grow you, mature you, develop you to the man, woman of God that he wants you to be. Uh, and eventually, man, you're going to be this big garden plant, right, that the, the, the birds can come and rest in, man, whatever that means, right? Uh, that other people can lean on you, depend on you. You're also releasing seeds. You're helping. We talked about reproduction uh, and reproducing yourself, uh, right? He says the kingdom of God grows this way. It starts, starts small, uh, but, but, but then it grows huge. Um, and if you look at like church history and the way, um, and the way, way that way the early church spread across the globe, right? To start so small, right? To start with, man, Jesus, uh, Jesus wasn't a mega church pastor, right? He gathered twelve dudes. He said, "You twelve dudes." Uh, Dan talked about it this morning, right? You, you guys, man, just c- come and follow me. Um, Jesus didn't didn't write a best-selling book. He didn't he didn't pastor uh, a mega church, right? He did teach to some pretty big crowds, but he devoted a huge chunk, the majority of his time, investing into this small group of guys, into a small group. Some of you guys are either part of a small group, maybe you lead a small group on your campus. Uh, Jesus did small groups, right? He devoted a huge chunk of his time to these 12 guys, investing in these 12 guys. Um, one of them betrayed him, so it ended up being 11 guys. Uh, I mean, those 11 guys, uh, man, man, they turned around and, and transformed the world. I mean, human civilization totally transformed by something that started so small uh, and then, and then with, within the, man, just the, the first few weeks of the church, it exploded out to 3,000 people. And a few weeks later, added another 2,000 people. Um, and a, a, after just man, a few decades after that, it spread throughout um, in several regions there. And fast forward a few hundred years and, uh, and conquered the Roman Empire, right? Uh, and, and, and now here we are thousands of miles away, right? And, and we're understanding about Jesus because this thing spread uh, spread around the world. So Jesus is trying to teach us the kingdom of God. I mean, when you see see something that, 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 that looks small, that God's doing uh, in, in your life or, or God's doing on your campus or God's doing something, it may start small, but it's not going to stay small, right? It's, it's going to grow. Uh, there's explosive, powerful growth there, man. If you're patient, if, you, if you're going to stick with it, because uh, healthy stuff, healthy stuff grows. Um, 
the, there's a really similar uh, parable to that, the parable of the woman uh, who mixed yeast uh, into, into dough. Um, but that's the one, uh, we'll, I'll table that one so we can talk about this one last one. Um, last parable I want to look at um, is going to be the parable of the weeds. So if you ha- it's uh, Matthew 13, uh, starting in verse 24. Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like, and that's what we're talking about, you know, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, uh, then the weeds disappeared. also appeared. Verse 27, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed into the field? Where did these weeds come from? The enemy did this. An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked, do you want us to go and pull them up, pull the weeds up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together uh, until the harvest, and at that time I'll tell the harvest, first collect the weeds, tie them up into bundles to be burned, uh, then gather the wheat uh, and bring it into my barn. All right, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, again, agriculture example. It's like a man, right, who went and sowed good seed, good plants. Um, but his enemy, I don't know, it's like the, the rival farmer next door or something. He comes and he sows weeds so the guy will have a bad crop. Um, the servants notice uh, healthy plants growing, but then weeds growing right there with it. And they say, hey, what do, you, what do you want us to do, boss? Like, should we try to, like, pull the weeds out? He said, no, if you do that, you're going to damage the good plants that are, that are there with them, just let it all grow up together. We'll just harvest it all, and we'll separate it out at the end. Um, what, what is Jesus trying to teach, uh, trying to teach us with, with this concept? I mean, there's a lot of deep spiritual truth here to understand about the kingdom. Um, so for the sake of time, I'll try to keep this real brief because we have like four minutes left. Uh, I think Jesus is trying to answer um, so, some things to help us understand the kingdom of God, the, the, understand the world when we look around. Um, understand some things about the character of God. Um, one of the big objections people have uh, to the idea of, of a good and loving God, uh, objections to, 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 to Christianity specifically and religion in general, uh, is what's called the problem of evil. Uh, the problem of evil, the problem of pain and suffering. You guys have heard this, that how can there be a God, or how can there be a good, loving God when I see so much pain, so much suffering, so much evil in the world, right? You guys have heard this. If you've not thought it yourself, because um, that's a tough one. That's not a new problem, right? This is this problem philosophers have had for centuries and centuries and centuries and forever. Um, you know, and, and this parable to help us understand the kingdom of God is a way that Jesus is addressing this concept of, of how can there be how can there be evil in the world if God is good? Like God, didn't you sow good plants, right? What, what, what's all what's all this with the weeds there? You know, the, the farmer says an enemy did this, an enemy did this, uh, and as Christians, it's important that we have. A good theology, a good biblical understanding of evil and suffering, um, both for when we suffer, uh, and then to help help people in our lives that, that have that kind of question, like, man, how can there be evil? You know, how, how can there be so much bad in the world uh, if the God you're describing is so good? Um, and so when we when we think about evil, uh, and again, this is a huge concept. This is like a, a two-hour hour lecture, not a three-minute lecture. But when we think about evil, um, there's what's called natural evil. You know, just disaster type stuff, hurricanes, earthquakes, all that kind of stuff. And then there's personal evil. You know, bullies and, and, and evil human beings that do terrible things and hurt people, right? Both of those are a problem. Um, and, and, and with a biblical understanding, we know that, that they both have the same cause. In Genesis chapter 3, we, we read that when sin enters the world, there's a curse upon the earth itself. The very earth uh, is cursed. Then thorns grow, uh, harvesting becomes difficult. Uh, the earth itself is cursed. It won't always be that way. Man, it's going to be redeemed. Man, you, you fast forward to the end of the book in the Revelation, you see a brand new heaven and a new earth uh, where there's not going to be hurricanes and earthquakes uh, and disasters and plagues, right? The, the, yeah, there's, there's problems in the earth now, but it won't always be that way. It's a result of sin. Uh, sins enter the world and with it, with it a curse. Now, that's a huge leap for your atheist friend to make, but that's something that we understand by faith that the earth isn't always going to be this way, right? There's these problems, uh, but God's aware of them. God can work in them and through them for his good and his purposes. 
uh, that things won't always be that way. And people say, okay, I can maybe understand that, but why does God allow evil people to exist? Like, why did God allow my, my stepdad to, to treat my mom the way he did, right? Or why did God allow man, this evil person to succeed? Um, and this is where we go to the parable of the weeds, right? Uh, the, the, yeah, there's good people. You know, people that are following Jesus. Well, there's not really any good people, right? There's people that, that are following Jesus, so they've been forgiven. Uh, and then there's people that are that rejected Jesus so that they're wicked. Uh, and, 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 and we say, man, why doesn't, why doesn't God just get rid of all those wicked people? That'd be a solution, right? But, but God got, sees bigger picture than us. God's more loving and patient with us. Um, God says, no, let's wait. Let's wait. Because what might, what might happen if, if we wait? Yeah. And when Peter, in uh, and, and, and Peter's letter, uh, towards the end, he's, he's writing about, um, you know, kind of responding to people saying, man, why is God taking so long? Why is Jesus taking so long to return? Why is God not just dealing with all this injustice and evil? Uh, and, 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 and Peter says this, God's not slow. It's not that he's slow, like he's just, I'll get there when I get there. He says, no, he's not slow. It's he's patient, right? He's patient, giving everyone a chance uh, to repent. God, God's not slow like we understand slowness, but he's patient, not wanting any to perish, uh, but all to come to repentance. Um, so Jesus can't, can't deal with all of the, the wicked people uh, in, in, in the world, you know, and also be patient and loving to them and give them a chance to, to repent and turn back to them, okay? Uh, and so, and also, I mean, thinking that we also were once wicked people, and I'm glad God didn't just deal with me. I'm glad he was patient with me, gave me a chance to repent. I'm glad someone shared the gospel with me so I could I could start following Jesus, amen? So so there, there's a concept there to, to unpack, to think about. Jesus, what do you want to teach me from this parable? Um, but, but again, for the sake of time and, and not, not to take from your time, let's go ahead and end there. Um, and, and just pray that God would kind of continue to teach us through these things in our hearts. God, thank you uh, for what you've revealed to us uh, in just these couple parables we looked at. Um, and God, would you just help us to have just a greater appreciation for uh, the kingdom of God uh, parables that we read about in the Gospels. Jesus, where you're communicating deep spiritual truth uh, through parables, illustrations, and stories. Uh, help us to have a better understanding of your kingdom, of your purposes uh, in this world. Um, God, would you increase our love for you, increase our devotion to you, help our hearts to be that good soil, fertile ground, uh, God, uh, for, for you to do what you please in each of our lives. Make us the men and women of God that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.